Hello, my name is Rebecca Pearl. I'm AARP Elderwatch's Financial Literacy Program Specialist, as well as your host for Money Talks 50 Plus, a podcast for women featuring women, tackling the most important financial issues we face. Today, we're sitting down with Rebecca Laurie. Rebecca Laurie heads the Financial Engagement Unit at the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies known as DORA. She is a communications leader and strategist focused on government and public affairs, marketing, and outreach. She joined DORA in 2014 as its communications director and public information officer, and now serves as stakeholder and innovation strategist for its banking and financial services divisions. She evaluates the ways policy, industry, regulation, and public awareness intersect and develops engagement initiatives to build awareness about financial access, economic inclusion, as well as building financial capability and preventing frauds and scams. We get hundreds of reports on the National Fraud Helpline, the Fraud Watch Network Helpline, every single day about various frauds and scams. They come from around the country. We see every single fraud and scam under the sun. But I'm wondering what government agencies like DORA see in terms of fraud, scams, and financial exploitation. Yeah, you know, that that's a great question because <laughs> what we know, of course, is that financial health can affect overall health, right? So that includes mental health or social functions and financial losses impact uh, so many things like food, medication, housing, or other services. Um, there is a study that was done by Health Affairs reports that um, by 2029, more than half of middle-income adults age 75 and older won't be able to afford their housing or medical costs. And so what we see in terms of government agencies is just this, you know, really wide um, and broad issue related specifically to financial health because there's just this ripple effect that happens. Um, in terms of DORA specifically, um, you know, and the Division of Banking and Financial Services specifically, you know, we're looking at exactly what type of financial fraud or exploitation has taken place. There are other um, divisions in DORA that are looking through the lens of, of other um, types of issues that has happened um, as, as a result of financial fraud or exploitation. But I'll just talk about um, you know, the, the direct financial side and kind of what is associated with that. So um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau puts out a list of key findings based on what we call suspicious activity reports known as SARS. And SARS are, is what's filed by the financial institution uh, when they suspect that there may be fraud taking place. And SARS filings on elder financial exploitation quadrupled between 2013 and 2017. And nearly 80% of the elder financial exploitation SARS involved some type of monetary loss, direct monetary loss. So adults age 70 to 75 had the highest average loss and around $45,000 was the average. Um, the losses were greater when the older adult knew the suspect. And as we discussed, that's unfortunately all too common. 
some of the common scams that really tend to be very devastating um, include scams like romance scams or the ex direct exploitation by a family member or fiduciary or theft by a caregiver. Um, the other one uh, they reported on is serving as an unintentional money mule. So the scams that we know of, like the phone and mail scams, the IRS scams, sweepstakes and lottery scams, you know, many seniors have become aware of, of those types of scams. Um, financially, what we see the most devastating, like we said, are those kind of affiliated scams that involve direct exploitations. The other really successful type of scam that we most commonly see is um, some type of email or direct messaging scam. So since we're all online right now, uh, the email and direct messaging scams have become so sophisticated that it is, it is all too easy for any age group to fall for. And then also investment scams. So investment scams include some type of affinity fraud or a pyramid scheme, maybe even a Ponzi scheme that you don't even know that you are trapped into until you realize the money's gone when you try to get it out. So basically, you know, again, these scams, what we see, they, they tap into this blurry line that starts to take place between our limbic system and our rational brain. So those feelings of excitement or desire or uh, even feelings of trust or fears of missing out, all of a sudden start being interpreted, interpreted by us as a logical decision-making process. And it muddies our centers of logic no matter our age, but particularly with the aging brain. So analysis of over 300 undercover fraud tapes revealed that the most common types of persuasion tactics for fraud includes um, people who uh, uh, try to give this idea that there are some type of phantom riches or scarcity of riches. So the pitch of something being in exclusive or they must act now or else those riches will disappear or the, the source to that person is very credible, or there's some sort of promised reciprocity uh, from that credi credible source that can take place, or there's just kind of broad social consensus in like a social group that you might have, whether it's like a church or a club, that you know there's a good idea that's circulating to invest in something, and so therefore, since everybody else is doing it must be good or the right thing to do. So then what happens is, is that when the fraud takes place, the financial institution uh, submits its suspicious activity report or SARS. And so financially, that's what we're seeing happening is just a huge spike in, and an increase in those SARS. You mentioned how financial losses can have a impact on every single thing within our lives. And one statistic I read is that people that have been victimized by frauds or scams uh, have a higher likelihood of premature death. Um, and that's at no matter what age. 
it really, really does impact every single part of our lives. And I thought it was really interesting how you mentioned those undercover fraud tapes that were analyzed and found <clears throat> phantom riches, scarcity tricks, and then source credibility and social consensus are the number one things that cause folks to become victimized. Those tactics are fantastic for persuading folks to become involved in a fraud or scam. And a lot of times fear is also thrown on top of that. And fear can also just be a huge driving factor in us not making rational decisions, straying away from what we what we know is rational. Again, that limbic system and rational brains start to blend together and the scammers are really good at exploiting that. And I know we've discussed why this is such a huge issue. What's being done to address this issue and why is addressing it so, so important? That's a great question because, you know, one of the, the challenges typically with government in particular is that, um, you know, each kind of government agency operates under its own type of statutory authority or, or types of laws um, that it, it's bound by. And so sometimes it's not natural for a government agency to work with other government agencies per se. So, I mean, a great example of that that you hear kind of in the media is, you know, local law enforcement and FBI kind of clashing because, you know, they're, they're kind of legal systems that they operate under different. And when they work together, that's when it works best. And it's the same thing with um, issues involving agent, aging, when, when the agencies that have some type of role in this work together, that's when the um, prevention and intervention works best. So the state has a, a unit on aging, and you can learn more about it by going to the Colorado Department of Human Services, and um, I'll send you a link to the state unit on aging. But um, they, they're looking very kind of, you know, high level at all of these different issues and all these different impacts, uh, including financial. So uh, for example, um, there's they look at caregiver support and legal assistance, um, senior community services, uh, and then there's the Colorado Commission on Aging. And the Colorado Commission on Aging and the Strategic Action Planning Group on Aging, I believe, are the ones that are responsible for putting out a report in which they look at some of the demographics happening in Colorado, some of the main issues that are happening, certainly how, um, of course, you know, that the financial health of a senior is so critical to, you know, the, their, their overall health, wellness, and lifespan, as you mentioned. And so really looking at how does the state coordinate with federal agencies, with local agencies, to make sure that there is just a very robust and more streamlined approach in helping, um, you know, our aging communities. And so, if uh, you ever, you know, kind of have like a day where you just are in the mood to read a government report, you can go online and read the entire state plan on aging. 
and it's actually quite fascinating um, because it has a ton of very interesting um, statistics about how we are in the midst of an enormous historic demographic shift. So if you think about this, adults over 65 hold two thirds of the overall investable wealth in the entire country, two thirds. But yet almost a third of older adults are living within the poverty level. And older adults, as we know, don't really have the time to make up really critical financial losses. So also we're dealing, you know, uh, in, in a culture where one spouse typically handles the finances. So if that um, spouse that handles the finances passes, that leaves the surprise, a surviving spouse who's more ill-equipped to manage those affairs and, and overall just becomes more vulnerable to exploitation. So like we mentioned, those financial losses impact available food and medication and housing. And so um, those reports by the state plan on aging are really important for us as government agencies to really know and be able to plan what's ahead. Uh, you know, one, one of the other statistics that I thought was really interesting that the, um, the report highlighted is that one in five Coloradans age 60 or older um, are now compromised 40% of rural Colorado's population. And over just the next four years, growth in the 60 and older population will actually drastically outpace the growth in the zero to 59 groups. So when we think about just this um, historic shift that is happening in our demographics and that a lot of the seniors, you know, either are moving to rural communities so they can retire or this is where they grew up and they stayed, um, but the younger generations tend to be leaving, then that really kind of makes us rethink as government agencies, where, where do our financial services need to be focused? Um, where do our healthcare systems need to be operating? Um, what kind of services do we need to have to ensure that seniors, for example, are connected and trained to be able to use digital systems in order to be able to navigate financial systems, health systems, all these different types of systems without falling prey, for example, to a phishing email? It's complex. It is very, very complex. And so the more that we can coordinate and collaborate and raise awareness and streamline, the better off that um, our older populations will be because the information will be coming from a more streamlined source. And, and frankly, you know, it's difficult when you have to go from one government site to another government site or one nonprofit site to another nonprofit site. So by the very effort of just trying to collaborate, raise awareness and streamline is going to help things down the line. I think I'm gonna pick up that state report on aging for a bit of light reading before bed. All jokes aside, though, it is very fascinating. Um, all of those statistics that you mentioned 
shed a lot of light on as to why this issue is so important to address right now, especially as we see that 40% of older adults, 65 plus, are in rural areas. And we know that the financial services and any sort of support services many, many, many times are located in cities. And so there's really a gap in services provided in these rural areas. And that can have a huge impact on our older adult population. And especially we're facing a huge growth in the 60 plus population with all those financial statistics on top of that as well. Now is absolutely the time to be addressing this issue. I know you mentioned a few of the solutions. What are some other solutions to this problem? What can be done? The the other solutions that we have, um, in addition to you know our our kind of consumer complaint and reporting process, is really looking at those mandatory reporting requirements. So it's not necessarily incumbent upon the senior, it's really incumbent upon the financial institution to try and um, mitigate the financial loss that they may suspect is happening. So there's different ways to approach this within the public policy spectrum. Um, the Senior Safe Act is um, the, the mechanism in which a bank or a credit union with a reasonable belief of elder financial exploitation, that reasonable belief is adequate enough to report. So direct proof isn't necessarily required. Um, so as part of our role, we go out and we talk to our um, state regulated institutions about that type of responsibility. What, what does mandatory uh, reporting requirements really mean? What what kind of training needs to take place with their frontline staff to be able to maybe recognize when there might be a case of financial exploitation? Um, we even talk about, uh, for example, there are, there are groups of uh, financial institutions and law enforcement agencies in local areas that get together to talk about potential solutions because we know that the gift card scams are so popular and so big box stores and grocery stores you know really also participating in these efforts to try and um, identify when you know the difference between somebody going in and buying some gift cards you know for christmas gifts or uh you know something for for their niece or or daughter's birthday versus trying to buy those gift cards to pay off a scammer um you know all of these things are very nuanced and complex and often involve needing to have some type of direct relationship and so when you think about a big box store and the cashier, they probably don't have a direct relationship with the consumer walking through unless they're a regular. But a bank and a financial institution is much more likely to have a direct relationship with that person. And so, you know, they, they are given um, guidelines on what to look for. So for example, if somebody walks into their financial institution with somebody who typically doesn't go with them and uh you know the the person um, behind the counter they can ask ask questions 
you know, is this, you know, a relative or is this a caregiver? You know, some of the training is not necessarily to try and um, uh, be punitive to the to the client. There, the training really is more to understand that there's somebody who they know has been um, having a certain type of financial re uh, relationship with a bank, and if they start seeing changes with that type of financial relationship, then those financial institutions have a legal obligation to take a look into it a little bit further and if necessarily file something formally. So now the the interesting thing here is that at some point, you know, this this information is is confidential, right? So, you know, do we really have good statistics on mm, the prevention rate per se? Uh, we we don't really have statistics on how we knowingly prevented some type of fraud. All we have is the statistics to know how many of those SARS were reported. And so we can just assume that the increase in SARS means that these financial institutions and the frontline, frontline workers who have been trained to spot this are seeing it more and more. And so that's what's initiating the increase in SARS. some great solutions there as to how we can protect older consumers and just all of us as consumers. We really truly are in this together in keeping ourselves safe, keeping our money safe. So look out for each other, stay vigilant. If you think something's a little off, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. If you're just not sure, if something's legit or not, you can always give us a call and we're happy to verify or let you know that, oh, maybe that's a scam. It's of vital importance that we continue work surrounding keeping us all safe and keeping our money safe. And I thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us today for this very, very important conversation. I know we covered a ton of information, so if you need to listen again, listen again. Before we go, do you have anything else that you would like to add that we didn't get to today, Rebecca? First, I just, again, want to thank you for um, the work that you're doing, um, all the efforts of um, the AARP, uh, really, it's just a phenomenal resource. Um, it's a credible resource. And so um, we really do appreciate all the proactive steps that you take to be able to really look after, um, you know, our senior populations for, for everything. Um, in, in this regard, what I would recommend is that um, seniors become familiar with, number one, how to check a license of the people who they hire. So their nurses and their doctors, um, you know, even their dentists, that kind of thing. And you can do that by going to Dora's website. I also recommend that the financial institutions that they, they use that they verify are chartered financial institutions, um, which they can also verify on the Dora website. 
or they can call or stop in once we're you know through the covid pandemic of course um, to our welcome center to be able to ask these questions um, we have an entire welcome center of folks you know there you know who will uh, get you to the right place within um, you know the the door agency no matter what your question is and so we just encourage folks to not kind of be afraid of contacting um, their their local government agencies like Dora we really do encourage you to reach out to us if you have a question and if we are not the right place to send you then we'll find the right place to send you um, we want to make sure that we're here for you that we're able to answer your questions but then also that we're um, really looking at these issues in a very long-term and strategic manner and taking the steps necessary to be able to tackle this we know it's um, very complex and the solution is not short-term but we're in it for the long haul and we're committed to it thank you so much could you just the best phone number to call for Dora and that website please yes absolutely the website is Dora D-O-R-A dot Colorado dot gov and then when you go to the home site um, what you'll see is, uh, you know, different variety of menus. Um, you can look up different divisions and programs and call them directly. Uh, there's also a consumer protection website that we have there as well. And then when we say, you know, you can call us anytime to ask Dora a question, the number you call is 303-894 7855 or if you're calling outside of the Denver metro area it can be toll free at 800-866-7675 or you can email your question to Dora D-O-R-A underscore customer care at state.co. If you like what you've been hearing today, please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Thank you Podcasts, so much, Rebecca. SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode of Money Talks 50 Plus. We'll chat with you then.